Hi, folks. Keith Jones for Front Row Knowles. We appreciate your listening to our podcasts and all the things that uh, go into what we do in terms of watching Florida State Athletics. But we would remind you that part of Florida State Athletics is certainly Seminole Boosters. Uh, athletics can't do what they do without the support of you and without the support of Seminole Boosters. So we encourage you, if you're not already a member, consider joining Seminole Boosters. If you are a member, consider increasing your participation. Without Seminole Boosters, Florida State Athletics is going to be run of the mill. With Seminole Boosters, Florida State can work their way towards elite. And oh, by the way, they're doing pretty good on the football field. They're doing pretty good on the pitch for soccer. Uh, and they're uh, getting ready to do good on both the men and women's side on the hardwood. Join Seminole Boosters, support Seminole Boosters, and continue to support Front Row Knowles. Go Knowles! Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, it's a new week. The sun came out, I think, even though the temperature dropped a little bit. And it still doesn't feel great, but whatever. Life moves on. Let's move on. As is the case. Uh, you, can, you can complain. You can be uh, upset. Uh, you can vet uh, and vent. Uh, but the reality is you got to get ready to play uh, in another bowl game. You've got another 14 or 15 days of practice. Uh, you've got decisions that need to be made about who's going to play and who's not going to play. If they choose not to play, that gives playing time for other folks. Um, and, and there's probably not a better staff in America uh, than Coach Norvell and his staff to find the right way to motivate the players to go out and do their very best when they have the opportunity to set foot. So, yes, it's time to move on. I, I do believe that about Norvell, Keith. You and I have talked about this. We'll touch on this. So we got a good show today. Kurt Weiler from the Osceola is going to join us. Andrea, Andrea uh, Adelson from ESPN later as well. And uh, we'll broach this topic with them. But uh, Norvell is the same guy every day, and he does not waste any energy looking backwards. There's none of this, well, I, I should have tried. That play is over. You're on to the next play. And I, I know it's coach speak and all that, but it's really not. It's the way he lives and preaches and the team buys into it. You and I've talked about this when he first got here and, and I had the opportunity to be around him some, and you continue to have that opportunity. I'm going, this can't last. This, this is all newbie stuff. He's, he's going to be like this for a month or two months or through spring ball, maybe, maybe through the first season, but you know, eight or nine or 10 months from now, we're going to see the true Mike Norvell, and it's going to be slightly different than the version we, we got introduced to. Guess what? I was wrong. Who he is, what he is, how he does it, first day, fourth year, 14th year, if he's here 44 years from now, it's going to be the same way. That's just who he is. If we're doing this show in year 44, Keith, will you get an X account, or are you still going to be off social media? Uh, I, I will get an X account if we're still on the air. Of course, it won't be called X. It'll be something else. And and I won't have to do anything because artificial intelligence will do it for me. Which is good because I'm not going to do the math and share it with our listeners. But by year 44, Keith, neither of us may be here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> well played, my friend. Well played. <laughs> 
well, so as we hit, sit here, are, are you excited about the Orange Bowl or are you more ready for next year? No, no, no. I have gotten excited about the Orange Bowl for a very um, subtle, old-fashioned reason. FSU's got an opportunity to beat Georgia, go 14-0, and and tell the playoff committee exactly what they can do with their decision. And, Tommy, especially for the players, the players and the coaches and the staff, but particularly for the players, that's a memory, that's a narrative, that's a conversation you can have the rest of your life. And that is very motivating to people like me. I don't know how motivating it will be to today's athlete, but that is an unbelievably motivating factor to people like me. And I think Coach Norvell will find a way to spin that appropriately and, and the kids buy into it. And, and that's going to be a very interesting narrative a year from now, three years from now, five or 44 years from now. Different circumstances, Keith, but when you played in the Orange Bowl, there was a chance if you got the win, depending on how the voters voted, that FSU would have had a national title. Well, there's no doubt in my mind that we would have we have we would have split the the, the title that year with Georgia because uh, we were number two going into the ball game. Now we lost uh, Oklahoma to their credit; they beat us 18-17. I uh, chased J.C. Watts for two years. I chased him all up and down that field. They found a way to make it happen, but that was a motivation to us because we were aware of it. We knew it. We were very disappointed in the loss, but oh how how great that conversation would be 43, 44 years after the fact now, 42 maybe it is, whatever the math is. Yeah, we'll take a break to figure out the math. We're just getting started. Kurt Weiler from the Osceola joins us next right here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And say hello to our Osceola insider, Kurt Weiler. Kurt, Keith and I have sworn that as we are uh, two weeks into this now, that we're we're not going to be uh, somber. We're just going to move it forward. It is what it is, because I don't know what else to do. So I'm not sure your philosophy, but do share. Where are you in this process? Yeah, I've tried to stop tweeting about it. I still think about it from time to time, and it's just like, it's just weird. I just kind of go through the same, like, man, that really did happen. You know, like I, I've tried to uh, move on as well, but uh, it, I mean, not to at all com- compare my play team and how the feelings they must be going through in the interim. But I mean, we spend a lot of time, a lot of man hours covering this team. I think we all thought we get to cover a playoff team and, and they deserve that. I think we all agree. And yeah, here we are. I'm going to violate our agreement because as we're taping on Tuesday evening, uh, Attorney General Ashley Moody has mm-hmm. notified the College Football Committee and others that there's a potential antitrust investigation going on. Simply to say, there's going to be some legal stuff that come out. None of it changes whether FSU gets no. to play Michigan. None of it changes anything the CFP is going to do. Uh, the only thing that it does, though, guys, is if they ever get into discovery. And if the committee and or ESPN and or whomever has to turn over internal documents, internal emails, anybody's handwritten notes during the meeting, might there be a smoking gun somewhere? I'm not sure. I don't think so. But that'll be the only way we figure it out. 
No, I mean, it's, yeah, you're right that nothing's coming of it this year. Like, this year is this year. Could it do something for the future if there is something there? Sure. And I try not to think that way, but uh, I don't know. It, it, gets, it gets hard sometimes when just, like, talking heads are saying, for the most part, Booger McFarland accepted. He was in Tallahassee last week. I think Pat talked to him a little bit, but uh, Booger's been kind of the Florida State's white knight. But other, other than that, I mean, it's been hard not to feel that way with with how a lot of people have uh, – have tree. I mean, just the other day, Kirk Herbstreit was the quote about like they don't care about facts; they care about conspiracy theories. Like talking about Florida State fans, it's like the any argument for Bama over Florida State is not a fact-based argument; it's a subjective argument. So, like that's the thing: like facts is not the the stance that anyone in that world has to stand on right now. Well, to me, the only objective criteria that existed until eight days ago was if you were unbeaten, you were going to be in the playoff, and that went away. So uh, the rest of it's always been the land of subjectivity. Kurt, we're, we're going to talk with Andrea uh, Adelson from ESPN in our next segment, not so much about this, but kind of spinning it forward to FSU and Georgia and Mike Norvell and motivating the team. But, but let me ask you this. I, I'm trying to envision they're redoing the stadium right now. If FSU beats Georgia and they're, and they're sitting there at 14-0, and 0, do they, regardless of how the AP votes, and we'll ask Andrea about that, do they claim a national title? Do they put 14-0 and 0 and an asterisk up on there? Or do they just turn the page and say, you know, and, and live with it? I don't think they put national champs. I could be wrong. I feel like, I mean, Florida State, as much as anybody, kind of derided UCF for doing that. Obviously, those situations aren't comparable. UCF is now at a Power 5 conference. They weren't at the time. Um, but I do wonder if the, what kind of banner, I mean, obviously like an ACC championship, like recognition of some sort goes up, but I wonder what else they do. Cause yeah, if they were to do that, I mean, the, the problem is Florida State's going to have opt-outs. Georgia's going to have opt-outs where the, the narrative, if Florida State wins nationally, it won't be like, oh, well, maybe we were wrong. Maybe Florida State should have been, it'll been, well, well, Georgia wanted to play for the national title. They didn't want to play in the orange bowl. It, 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 but if, if Florida State loses, never mind who they're going to potentially be without, it becomes, oh, well, see, they didn't deserve to be there. So, I mean, it, I just hate that this this Orange Bowl kind of becomes a lose-lose to me if you're Florida State. Speaking of which, and, and I'm sure you would be the first to tell us, and we haven't heard, but as it relates to the opt-outs, officially, as we're talking, uh, Johnny Wilson is the only one. I personally think others would would opt out, but it also would not surprise me. If a verse, if a Benson, if a Coleman, if a whomever takes it as a personal challenge, might not be the right word, but a commitment to what Coach Norvell and this team has meant to go to Miami and win a 14th game just to say we're undefeated. If ever there was a reason to kind of care about a quote-unquote meaningless non-playoff bowl game. I mean, yeah, for sure, this would be it. And you're right, that could uh, inspire some guys that, I mean, would probably not otherwise play in a in a bowl game like this. Guys like Keon Coleman, who's probably going to be a first-round pick in April. Guys like Jared Verse. I mean, I we haven't heard for sure one way or the other. Like you said, I mean, as of Tuesday night as we're recording this, Donnie Wilson's the only one who's who's come out and said it in as many words. And maybe guys are taking a little time. I mean, I know, I think they, they, they practiced a little. They had a few practices last weekend. We weren't out there. I think we're going to be out at the practices this weekend uh, and might get a better idea then. But uh, yeah, no, it, it is interesting that, yeah, there have not been, it feels like you're just starting to see more opt-outs. Like a nationally, I think Drake may just opted out, I think yesterday. So you are starting to see more of it, but uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. 
it could go to one of two ways, but I think there's a world where some guys could say, no, I mean, I, I we need to prove them wrong. And it becomes a want to be right type thing that motivates some people. It's it's uh, it's cold water on the face when when you say the the meaning a meaningless bowl game, right, Kurt? If you grew up, I mean, Florida State's first national title was won in the Orange Bowl, right? I think of how many big games were played, not just in that stadium when it existed, but the actual bowl game. And now, and I didn't even realize this till I looked at it. I don't ever remember an Orange Bowl game not being played at night, but this one's at four o'clock in the afternoon, which I didn't look, but it must mean there's NFL football that's taking the night window that that day or something. I, I don't know what's going on, but Anyway, uh, as it relates to FSU, let, let's switch this to, to recruiting a little bit. You know, there's the there's the motivate the team part of the equation, Kurt, but there's also the you need a quarterback for this game, and then you're 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 entertaining guys who are in the portal who might compete with the same quarterback you need to help you win an Orange Bowl. How do you see that dynamic being balanced, and how do you see Tate handling that? Yeah, there's there's a bunch of kind of quarterback dominoes for sure quarterback kind of they're juggling a bunch of stuff like that because I think there's a world I think they might it's not locked in yet but they might be having two different transfer quarterbacks visit like and not overlap it's like one transfer quarterback right into another this weekend well yeah they're gonna be at practice I mean that quarterback gonna be out there watch it is a an awkward thing I mean that's the thing where there has one year of eligibility left you have to think if they take a transfer especially one like a I mean they've been tied to DJ Uyangale, they've been tied to Cam Ward, a guy who you would expect would be the starter. You have to imagine Tate. I mean, that that's a tough thing for Tate, who's been the guy who's been patiently waiting his turn, but at the same time, you watch that Florida game, and not not at all all his fault, but you wonder. I mean, that's a tough spot to throw him into, but you you wonder if he if he should be the guy or if you kind of you don't cut him loose, but I think he would he would move on if you brought in a transfer. I have to think just because unless he's content to be a, a career backup, which I would, I would doubt he is just because who, who, who wants that, who, who put in all the work to be a, a career backup. So it is an awkward dynamic a little bit for sure. And that balancing act is, is not one that I would want to be a part of. I, I don't know how coach Norvell uh, and the staff, I, I don't know how you do that. I, I'm at a loss. It's one of the unique challenges of, I mean, all of this in today's college football, for sure. Does does Tate actually have two years left to play because his first year was the COVID year? I mean, he's played so, four years. He played in 2020, but. He's he's listed as a redshirt junior now. My thing is, as it was explained to me, and I could be wrong, but this was explained to me by by someone in Sports Info. For anybody, the 2020 year was a free year for guys who had already redshirted, but they kind of made it their redshirt if if they did if they hadn't registered already if they were a true freshman so that's my understanding of it. i it is possible I, I mean we're going to be dealing with covid implications still we're, we're three years removed from the pandemic and we're going to be dealing with it with implications for probably another two years he might have two years you're right but but also if if you're tate you're probably thinking even if he does have have potentially two years by 2025 i think mike Gervell's would be hopeful it's not tate it's either Brock or Luke Cromenhawk. They kind of one of the next guys up will be ready to take over. And that whatever transfer they were to take would just be a bridge to that. I, I was thinking more if he went somewhere else, he'd have two yeah. years to, to play. It's possible. That, I don't I, I have not heard definitively on that. Yeah, yeah. No, you, COVID's messing us all up. 
what, what you're saying makes sense there. So, I, again, we're recording on Tuesday night. We're eight days out from signing day. Uh, FSU's going to finish. Uh, in, well, in terms of the portal, how many guys do you think they're going to take? I know that's pretty nebulous, but uh, my thought, my thinking has been fewer than years past, but then I hear more, and as guy, other guys from the team go in the portal, it opens up spots. So, I mean, do you have a, an idea of how many you think they're going to take? Uh, not not exact. I do think it's a little less than the last. I mean, I think it looks like they're lining up to take a quarterback. My opinion's always been you should probably take it on both sides of the trenches every year. I think they're gonna. They've lost quite a few offensive linemen to the portal, even bringing back a few. So I I, I think they're looking. Who actually ended uh, Indiana transfer Carter Smith ended his visit uh, earlier today on Tuesday. Um. A defensive end, I mean, I think they're, they're, it's one, if not two. I mean, obviously, the Pat Payton scare last week, it's not like I think fully resolved, but seems like it's trending in the right direction. I mean, he's deleted the tweet and all that. But uh, you're definitely losing bursts, and I'm not sure you feel ready for a Gilbert Edmund or a Byron Turner to be a starter. And so I think you might you might be uh, – look. you're looking for a one, if not two there. I think defensive tackle is a possibility, and I think linebacker is a possibility. I think those are the, the positions I'm kind of – circling and so i would say i mean i forget exactly how many took the, they took last year offhand but I, I would say it's a few less but not not a ton less i think it could be could be six or seven and, and guys let's let's be fair two years ago three years ago we were talking about coach norvell's inability the staff's inability to recruit at the high school level and we don't know what signing day is actually going to bring but depending on who you talk to, Florida State second, third, fourth, fifth, certainly in the top five in the traditional seniors, many of which, if not all of which, will come in early and be here in January. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, even some of those high school guys, I think Luke Crumminhawk, I think even maybe Charles Lester, uh, and potentially a few others are going to be with the team for bowl practices. They're going to be like here in the next few weeks and get to travel with them to the Orange Bowl. They couldn't play in the Orange Bowl, though, could no. they? No, yeah. they have to have had like been in school that semester. Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Who, who, you, who are you trying to throw out? Are you trying to throw a, a super true freshman out there, Tom? Where do you think we need the help? No, no, I didn't have somebody in mind. I just, you know, the rules changed by the minute. Matter of fact, the one you just pointed out—that's the old Dion rule. You know, back when Dion played, you didn't actually have to be in school for the semester. That's yeah. why they passed yeah. the Dion rule and made it. You got to hey. go take your exams. Only for Chris <laughs> Ricks later to miss an exam. Then we'll get an addition, though. They'll get a Daryl Jackson. He'll be available. I'm excited about that. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just excited about that. I can't imagine working out all all year. I know he might. I know he didn't get a lot of reps. I know he wasn't with the first team very much. But let's be fair. He practiced all year long with no opportunity to play, and now he's got one game to put on tape. As good as that defensive tackle room was, I mean, watching him in practice, like it would have been a heck of an addition. I mean, it, it's hard to fathom kind of what he could have done to that room because, I mean, there were there were points, especially in the spring, when we didn't know yet about his status, where I thought he was the best defensive tackle or there were days where he was the best defensive tackle they had. Well, it's noticeable on the sideline when he's not dressed out, but you still do a double take because of how big he is compared to the guys he's standing next to that are in full pads. I mean, 100%. yeah, that guy's put together. All right, Kurt, anything else uh, for the good of the order? When do, when are you heading? When's the Osceola heading down to the Orange Bowl? You got that worked out yet? We actually we got approved for credentials today. We haven't hammered that out yet, but I think we're going to be there. I mean, I think we're there. 
interviews start. I think we might drive down the 26th. We'll see if we make it in time for the practice and uh, interviews start the morning of the 27th. And I think we'll we'll be so there in full force for those three days or those so couple you, days. So you guys fooled them again and you got credentials. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I doubt many people are banging down the doors to cover this one, unfortunately. See, and, and you bring it right back. This The Orange Bowl used to be a big deal. And now we're here like it's, uh, you know, it's a spring football jamboree. Next year, I mean, going forward down the 12-team playoff, it'll always be a quarterfinal or a semifinal, right? This is the last year where it, it, there are years where it's not a meaningful game that has national championship implications. Okay, that's a good note to end on. Kurt, we appreciate it, sir. Always, guys. Kurt Weiler from the Osceola. We will uh, we'll keep talking college football. Uh, Andrea Adelson from ESPN will join us next on the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We're really pleased to bring uh, Andrea Adelson to the program. She's been with us before and does a great job covering the ACC. First of all, how are you? I'm great, guys. Always appreciate being on with you. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, you bet. And uh, for the sake of transparency, we're talking on uh, Tuesday evening, and uh, we're eight days from signing day. And I know this is the landscape we're in right now, Andrea, but it just feels weird to me when you're two weeks from a bowl game, there's a signing day in between. You don't know who's going to play and who's not going to play. I know that's college football today, but have you wrapped your head around that and just accepted that this is the way of the world nowadays? Well, don't forget the portal smashed in between all of that too, right? And that adds a complicating factor for all these coaches because it's not just, can we hang on to our class? Can we flip a few guys? Can we add to the class? It's, can we hold on to our team? Can we make sure we're not losing guys on our own team to the portal? And, oh, by the way, look who just entered the portal. Maybe they could be a good fit for our team. And, oh, yeah, we also have to get ready for a bowl game and start figuring out practices and all of that. I find it interesting, though, in Florida State's case that we really haven't heard a lot from the NFL guys beyond Johnny Wilson about what they plan to do for this bowl game. There's other guys that we've seen across the league who've made these decisions and made these announcements. I'm very interested to see what guys like Jared Verse and Keon Coleman and Trey Benson are going to ultimately decide whether or not they're going to play. But you're right, Tom. This is an unbelievably challenging time of year that has only been made more challenging because of roster management with all of these moving parts. Andrea, you, you talked to your colleagues, you, you're plugged in. Has there been anyone that's done a better job in the portal than Norvell at, at first blush? I don't think so. Now, Jeff Brom over at Louisville may potentially have a case. I know the folks at Louisville raise their hands and say, wait, what about us? You know, in year one, they signed 27 guys from the portal. A lot of their players this year on the depth chart started for them that they signed straight out of the portal and they made the ACC championship game in year one. Now, their situation was a lot different than the one Mike Norvell inherited. That was a good Louisville team that he took over. And when he got there, their athletic director said, look, this isn't a complete like rebuild. You can use the portal and be aggressive and try and plug some of the holes. But this was a team that won their bowl game a year ago. That's not what Florida State was when Mike Norvell arrived and he had to use the portal. He really didn't have a choice. They had to use the portal to rebuild everything from the ground up. And when you look at how far this program has come over the last four years, 
a lot of it is because of the portal. Now, I know the staff also wants it to be known. They've done a good job recruiting and developing some of the younger players, which they absolutely have. But the players that came in from the portal who were two-year guys, guys like Jared Verse, and even before him, a Jermaine Johnson, maybe he was only there for a year. But setting the work ethic that was required for this team to get to this point is something that those players deserve credit for. And obviously upgrading the roster top to bottom is something that Florida State has done really well. And uh, I'll tell you that I was talking to a Florida State assistant, I think it was a week ago or two weeks ago, and he said, we're going to kill the portal again. So it's not something that Florida State's going to stop doing. Uh, this is a, a course of action for them uh, as part of the DNA of the program. To your point, I mean, some of the guys that they've brought in, they get labeled as transfers and portals, which is true. But, I mean, Jordan Travis is so old, he transferred in before the portal, right? <laughs> yes. And, and Jari and Jones, yes, he was in the portal and Fabian Lovett. But really, those guys got developed at FSU, and now they're going to sign a a top five class next week in terms of freshmen. I want to go back to the point you made about, because we're the FSU guys. I don't know which of those NFL prospects are playing in the bowl or not. And again, we're talking on Tuesday night, Mike Norvell, one of the things, and I think it's one of the things the players like, he is the same guy every day, 24 seven. He is consistent. He, yes, he was disappointed to not make the playoff, but he hasn't spent any time looking in the rearview mirror on it. He's looked forward, but, to me, if he can motivate this team, whatever it looks like, I, I, I don't know how you do it, I guess is what I'm saying. Yet I'm confident that he will find a way. What are your thoughts about the challenge of trying to piece together a team that's heartbroken, maybe missing some pieces, to play a really good Georgia team, understanding they're going to be missing some pieces too? Yeah, Tom, it's a great question. Someone on a radio station in Alabama, which they were like, are you are you sure you're okay coming on the radio in Alabama? I'm like, don't worry, guys, everything is, is fine. We're all friends here. Um, but in all seriousness, they asked, which team is going to be more motivated to play in this game? Because you've got two teams that are extremely disappointed they didn't make the playoff. I mean, Georgia feels they had an argument to be made uh, to make it. They, they lost by a field goal. They were the number one seed going in, uh, in the sec championship game. Kirby smart said that on the orange bowl zoom that he feels they had every right to be in there. So you've got, uh, two teams going into championship Saturday that were one and four. This was a playoff game on Saturday morning before Georgia lost. And before obviously the committee made the decision about Florida state. And now here they are in the orange bowl, scratching their heads and saying, oh, we got to play this game. Yeah, I guess we got to play this game. So now what? My thought on Mike Norvell is Florida State has a chance to finish undefeated, guys. And I know without a playoff berth, that doesn't really feel like much right now because who cares how the season ends, right? We didn't make the playoff. We're still angry and upset. And how could they do this to us? But Florida State does have to play in that game. So to me, one of the biggest motivating factors is the idea that we have a chance to be, what, the second team in school history to go undefeated. Uh, that I think is something that I would use if I was Mike Norvell, maybe that's a point he makes to these players who are deciding whether they should play or not play. I know there's been conversation about whether the AP would maybe, uh, declare Florida state, their champion, if Florida state finishes unbeaten and there's no other unbeaten, who knows if that's the case, but I feel like finishing a season undefeated considering everything this team has gone through this season. I think that's meaningful. I think that's really something that 
I would try and, and um, tell my players about on, on the flip side of it for Georgia, they don't have a chance to finish undefeated. They've already lost. They're not a conference champion. Florida state is a conference champion. I think it's going to be harder for Kirby smart, quite frankly, to motivate his team headed into this game. At least Florida state has something they can use. I'm not quite sure what Georgia has to use in this one. Andrew, you speak, and though you're a very young person, at least compared to Tom and I, but you speak about something that is very, very important for us, those of us that have been around for 30 or 40 years, and, and that being, you know, finishing. And, and, and I don't know what Trey's going to do. I don't know what Jared's going to do. I don't know what Keon's going to do. But to finish this season, the 2023 season, 14-0 and 0, is something that, that young people don't appreciate like us older folks, that's something you can talk about for the rest of your life. No one can ever take that away from you. And, and it, it is something that I think Norvell has and his staff has the ability to communicate better than maybe any other staff in the country. Yeah, we're disappointed. We are not in the playoff. We don't have the opportunity. But we have this chance to build something that is a legacy and lasts forever. Maybe it doesn't appeal to everyone, and maybe not every coaching staff can preach it, but maybe Norvell and his staff can. I think that's absolutely right. And on the flip side, Georgia doesn't have that, right? I mean, they just won two national championships. They don't know what it's like to lose. They've just lost. They can't call themselves a champion of anything other than what, potentially the Orange Bowl. Florida State, I think, has a lot more to play for, quite frankly. And one of the other things about Mike and Tom mentioning that he's the same guy every day, you know, these players have been through it with him, right? And again, it's not like Trey Benson has just only been there for this season. These guys understand what it took for this program to get there. And so now this is an opportunity to tell the committee and take all their anger out on the committee. See what see what you guys did? I mean, you made us really angry. This is a team right here, a team, a team that has continued to stay together, that wants to end this the right way, that you guys telling us we're not good enough because we don't have our starting quarterback. Too bad, so sad. We're going to show you it doesn't matter that we don't have our starting quarterback, that we are going to go out there we're going to stay united and we're going to win. I think that's a powerful message. Now, does that sway a guy who's potentially going to be earning millions of dollars in the NFL to play an extra game that could potentially come with an injury risk? I mean, they just saw their teammate Jordan Travis get hurt right in front of them two weeks ago. So I wonder if that's in the minds of a lot of these players, right? They just saw it happen to one of their best friends. Is it worth it to play in this game, knowing how badly you want to finish, knowing how badly you want to make a point and prove something to the committee, or do you want to protect your future prospects? I, quite frankly, don't know what I would do in that situation, because that's a lot to weigh and to consider for these young people. But I feel like Mike is going to put forth the most convincing message he possibly can to try and get everybody to play in this game. Whether they do or not, I guess we'll have to wait and find out. Andrea, let's let's widen a little bit. We're talking with Andrea Adelson from ESPN right now to the ACC overall, because in light of Florida State not getting selected for the playoff, 
Yeah, Florida State is the team that's wearing that right now. But if you're anybody else in the ACC, what does that say about how good they have to be to move the needle with the committee? I mean, I think that's the fear. Miami's been trying to get back for 20 years. Even Clemson, though, Clemson was the top dog, and it didn't take long to – it felt like they were not respected at all this year, even though at the end, when you look at the rankings – a win at Clemson was as good as any Pac-12 win, except for Oregon, based on where the teams finished. I mean, what, what do you think this does to the to the future of the ACC in terms of credibility, respectability, that sort of thing? Well, Tom, I mean, don't forget, even last season, Clemson wasn't really respected as a one-loss team at the end of the year. Now, headed into that South Carolina game to close out the regular season, Clemson was sitting at, I think, seven or eight, and nobody was really even talking about them as a possible playoff team, even though if they had won that game... They- they would have had as good a shot as any of those other one-loss teams. But the narrative about Clemson started to change a few years ago, and a lot of that was wrapped around they don't play a good enough schedule. The schedule just isn't good enough. Why are we automatically walking in an undefeated Clemson team? That happened the last time they made the playoff. I remember vividly those talking points from folks outside the ACC who were trying to bring the conference down and say they're not worthy even as an undefeated team. Now, Clemson obviously made it every time they had the chance and they made it as a one-loss team a couple of different times. But the fact remains that I have serious concerns, just like I'm sure teams inside the league have serious concerns about what this looks like in an expanded playoff. Okay, Florida State would get in in an expanded playoff, right? Any undefeated team from the ACC is getting in. That's fine. What about getting two teams in or three teams in? Because we already know it's going to be stacked in favor of the SEC and the Big Ten getting multiple teams in just by sheer number of teams that are ranked right now who are going to be affiliated with those two conferences. I mean, they are adding some of the schools that are currently ranked in the top 10 and top 15. I think the top eight or nine um, beyond Florida State are all going to be in one of those two conferences. So numbers alone tell you Big Ten, SEC are going to be able to get multiple teams in there. We know there's going to be a team from the group of five and the Big 12 and, yeah, one from the ACC. But the concern isn't can we get one in. It's, well, how many can we get in? And if the conversation about the strength of schedule in the conference is what it currently is, I have concerns about the ACC getting multiple teams in. Now, we have the potential for SEC and Big Ten teams to start beating each other up and those, you know, teams finishing nine and three and eight and four. And maybe that's great for the ACC because a 10 and two team from the ACC can get in. But again, the fear is, well, is a 10 and two ACC team that plays that schedule, how do they compare to an eight and four SEC team that maybe played Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama, Georgia, and you know, name another team, LSU. Um, So I I do think there is legitimate fear inside the conference about what potentially this means for the league going forward. And I have to tell you guys, I talked to some coaches and athletic directors in the days after Florida State was left out. They were all upset and angry too. It's not as if it's just the people in Tallahassee and the folks wearing garnet and gold who are upset about this. The entire league is upset that something like this happened to one of their member schools. And it's just unfortunate that something like this happened. But the overall problem is the narrative problem. 
And that has been an issue for how long now, guys? I mean, it's going on a decade that the ACC just doesn't feel as if it is rowing up the same river as some of the other conferences because of the narratives that have been established. Andrea, is it fair? I didn't say it was right, but is it fair to make the statement that there's not anything the ACC can do about that? And that's the reason an FSU, a Clemson, maybe a UNC needs to leave. It can't change. Well, Keith, that's the ultimate question, right? And that's one of the reasons why some of these schools that you just mentioned have been weighing what their future potentially is in the ACC. And getting a playoff snub is not something that's suddenly opening people's eyes to, hmm, what is our long-term future here? We've heard this now for several years since expansion began with Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC a couple of years ago, and then obviously continued forward with what the Big Ten has done. There are league schools, as we know, some of them have been given a nickname uh, from last spring, who have talked about what do we what are we doing here in the ACC? What what does it look like for us? And so I don't necessarily think a playoff snub is something where oh my gosh, guys, we really have to start thinking about what our future is going to look like. They've already thought about it. It's almost like the, see, this is why we've been talking about it. This is why we've been throwing up alarm bells. This is why we've been evaluating our future. This is why we've looked at the grant of rights, right? It almost feels as if it's vindication or solidification of the thoughts that people, and not just people at Florida State, by the way, that people with valuable programs have already been thinking and feeling. So I don't know what the league can do, but I will say this, the fact that the league in general has taken an approach throughout the course of its history that it is just going to sit back and be gentlemanly and collegial and not get down and dirty and fight for their teams publicly, that's a problem. That's been a problem. And it's not just been a problem in football. The basketball coaches complained about this last season, right? They're going on on, on television and seeing other conferences, right, sticking up for their teams. And they're wondering, well, where's our conference? How come nobody's sticking up for us? I know the people at Florida State feel the same way. Where, where was our conference? Where was anybody sticking for us in the last two weeks of the season? And that just becomes even clearer when you see other conferences out there that are lobbying, right, on behalf of their best programs, and there's silence from the ACC. I have said for years the ACC needs to have a far more proactive approach when it comes to their media strategy beyond just having an ACC network, which is great. I love contributing to the ACC network. I think it's been a wonderful addition to our family of networks, but you have to try and get outside the ACC network to spread your message, right? And where can you do that? You know, when you're watching college game day and you see Greg Sankey on Saturday talking about not just one team, but like we should get two teams in. If I was Jim Phillips, I would have been on the phone saying, hey guys, can I get the equal amount of airtime that Greg Sankey just got to talk about Florida State? Um, but that's just not in the DNA of this conference. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for Jim Phillips and the job that he's done. This preceded him. 
This is something that John Swafford also was very hesitant to do. He didn't want to go out there and have the pom-poms and, and rah-rah. And I think part of that is why the narrative is what it is. But at the same time, the ACC has to have more than just one team at a time, right? Carrying the banner. It can't just be only Clemson. And it can't just be only Florida State. If it was Clemson, Florida State, and Miami all at the same time with 11 wins or 10 wins, that's what this conference needs. So we can talk about a narrative and perception problem and how come people don't have their pom-poms out, uh, but it didn't help matters that even though that was a great win for Florida State on the road at Clemson, that Clemson was 8-4 and four this year, <laughs> okay? Ranked toward the bottom of the top 25. No, they needed Clemson to be ranked in the top 10, just like Washington had Oregon. The ACC didn't have anybody with Florida State. And yeah, Louisville was up there. But don't you think it would have been better from a perception standpoint if it was Clemson? Because Clemson has been there the last eight years. So um, yeah, perception's part of it. But I do think from an overall football standpoint and overall football perspective, more than one team at a time has to step it up. I think we've lost Tom, at least momentarily. Adrian, as we finish up, uh, you know, I guess the question then becomes, you know, if you were if you were the consultant to Phillips and the ACC, what's the one thing that you would suggest that could be done immediately to help move that needle a little bit? Oh, man, that's a great question. I think being more publicly available and talking about the conference is important. Nobody has heard from Jim Phillips since the announcement last Sunday. Nobody's been able to get an interview with him. Uh, I think he was in Las Vegas for some college football uh, Hall of Fame stuff, and there were some meetings out there. But I think that the hard work has to start now, talking about your teams and what you're doing beyond just saying it's football 365. Okay, what does that mean exactly? What does it mean when you say football 365? It's great that you want to have that all-in commitment from all of your programs, but there has to be something tangible that you can talk about and that you can say. And I don't necessarily think harping on what happened to Florida State is a good strategy moving forward because people just need to leave it. It happened. It's unfortunate. It's upsetting. But there's another season, there's an off season, there's bowl games. Like it's it, people have to move forward. Don't forget it, use it, right? Use it, use the motivation, learn something from what happened. Uh, but it's time to move forward. And how do you do that? And I think, especially with the league expanding and adding Cal and Stanford and SMU and people questioning what that's going to do, by the way, to the overall strength of schedule for this conference compared to the big 10 and the sec, and the Big 12, by the way, you know, which have added schools that have been better at football. SMU had a great year this year, and I think Cal turned a corner a little bit. But when you look at the additions for those three conferences, people would give them an advantage over the ACC in terms of the quality of the football programs that they've added. So to me, the messaging has to start there. And there was a lot of um, consternation within the ACC that the Big 12 was getting all this publicity for being aggressive and solidifying themselves when, you know, really a lot of it was just, you know, talk. Well, they were talking. Nobody in the ACC was talking. So 
my strategy would be to build a narrative and make yourself available and talk about why this is a better football conference than people think and be as available as possible to spread the gospel and to talk about ACC football so that people can open their eyes a little bit to see how good the football is here. But uh, part of that is playing good football and winning these non-conference games. And I think having a good bowl record, even though we've got opt-outs and it's really hard right now because who can tell anything from bowl games? I think that would be a good launching off point, quite frankly. Andrea Adelson from ESPN, always a pleasure having you with us. We have, uh, Tom and I have enjoyed watching your career take off. And it's uh, it's just a joy that you would be willing to spend a little time with us. Uh, continued success. We look forward to uh, what you have to say about bowl games and uh, uh, early signing period and the transfer portal and everything else. Thanks for being with us. Well, I appreciate all the support through the years, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. We'll be right back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Now back to Tom and Keith. All right, I'm back, Keith. I'm not sure where I went, but uh, thanks to Andrea Adelson. I learn something new about Zoom every week, by the way. But go ahead. You look like you want to jump in. It's just a constant um, um, uh, enlightening and encouraging uh, that I need to be uh, for you to continue to do the technical aspect. So keep after it, Tommy. Learn all you can. Learn all you can. We missed you, but I'm glad you're back. Translation, I hit the mute button, and apparently my video disappeared, and Keith and Andrea just kept talking and talking and talking until Keith finally threw the break, even though I was trying to jump in. But uh, anyway. And, and remember, Keith knows nothing about timing, so I'm sure that was the longest segment in Front Row Knowles history. It was. Uh, it's going to make our uh, producer, Matthew, do a little extra work here, but I'll uh, I'll let him know. And and he is uh, he, he's won bigger battles than this one in his life, trust me. He, he knows how to do it. Keith, we'll catch up again next week uh, on the eve of signing day. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.